by divine appointment. And uh, I just don't want you to ever forget that, that uh, when you're hearing the Word of God, He is speaking and uh, He has something special uh, to say to you. And I don't take it lightly that you're here, and and I I hope you don't, and uh, realize that God has something good to say to you. Now, we've been in this series for a while, and, and I know it's going a little bit longer than what I really wanted it to, and even today, I wanted to get through the four arguments of an inclusivist, but there's just no way, and so we're going to look at two of them. But to kind of remind you in the midst of this, to remind you why we are taking the time and why it is important to study these things out, even though we may not believe these things, others are believing these things, and I still think and my, my concern is that we may still believe these things even though we don't realize that we do or we don't consciously recognize that we do. And so part of this series is meant to create that tension between what we say we believe and maybe what we really think about the destiny of lost people, create tension there, then surface some confusion. We may be surfacing some uh, or uh, surfacing some questions that, wow, you know, I thought I knew what I believed about these things, and now I'm not so sure. And that confusion is good if it drives you to a more biblical conviction. And that's the that's the third thing. We want to create conviction and compassion for the lost. So before I get in today's lesson, I want I've asked Randy to come and share about a witnessing opportunity he took advantage of. And we had lunch here recently, and just spontaneously, we were just talking, and he just was referencing this series, and he said, or actually the past few months, actually, uh, and just how God has burdened him and increased his motivation, his burden, his passion for witnessing. And then he proceeded to tell me this story, and I was just so thrilled by it. I was so blessed by it that I said, Randy, you know, uh, I want you to share this. Now, I know some of you are like, yeah, I know that's the problem. If I, if I ever share anything, Terry, I know is going to think that, you know, you're, it's going to become a testimony. But you know what? That's not a problem with me, folks. Uh, that's a problem with us not understanding that God does work in our lives for the very purpose of sharing with God's people and others what he is at work of. That's the whole problem in a nutshell. That we take in, take in all these things that God is doing, and then that's the problem. We take it in and we keep it, and we're like, oh, I wouldn't want to get up and tell anybody and believe me. You think Randy's outgoing and these things are easy. In fact, I'm trying to look for him. Where's he at? Did he leave me? Oh, yeah, I thought you were high. You know, I thought you left. Because, you know, you think, oh, Randy, this is just so easy for him. I'm telling you, he's, I have to get him up here kicking and screaming. In fact, I, I think he was hiding. But, uh, uh, but Randy, share, share real quickly, real briefly, what uh, you share with me. It's been a great year of uh, lessons that uh, Pastor Chris has had for us. And I really, I was sharing with him at lunch, it seems like that the, uh, the strings have been tightened a little bit, the ratcheting up of the importance and the value of sharing the gospel with those that uh, are around us. And, and uh, I've taken some purposeful events this year to try to reach out and try to share the gospel with those who are around us and then where I've typically have been a little more passive and have let things go by me and have felt later inside gee I've missed some opportunities so this year I've tried to make some efforts to do that and um, my wife and I were shopping at a, at a store about a month ago and uh, we were uh, I, my wife had put some things in the basket I was trying to find some decorations and I was asking a store clerk on where I could find some of these things he was really quite helpful to me and and you know put a guy in a department store where can, what can you find here and so uh, I was having difficulty there and so um, went to the went to the cash checkout center my wife said to go and purchase these items and she went on somewhere else and so I was left with the checkbook there and to buy all of the items and and I was reaching in the basket to pull some things out, and I was within about a foot of this gentleman's chest that had been kind of helping me out with the, uh, with the items. I noticed he had a pin on his shirt, a very large pin, and it was a satanic pin. Um, it was very, very clear as to what this satanic pin was. And uh, I thought, for my first thought was, my gosh, uh, we don't need pins to, to wear to show that we're, we're a part of Satan here, and yet he's bold boldly wearing this pin and it really shocked me that I saw this it just really really caught me off guard I hadn't seen it when he was helping me for some reason with the items but I saw it really clearly at that moment and I continued to put my items I had a few items in the basket I put them up there and then of course I he rang up everything and then uh, and then he put them in a sack and I'm walking out the door 
And I, that's when I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you just cannot let this gentleman go by without saying something to him. Um, and I, I still was going towards my car, and I was actually got think, all the sacks of items we bought, put them in the car, and I sat there for a minute. And I really said, I do not want to go back in there and speak to this guy about the Lord. And I, 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 that kind of caught me off guard when I said that, that I don't want to. I said, Lord, this is what you've been teaching all year. I've been making some efforts to have great conversations with people, and now I'm being prompted to go in and talk, and I do not want to go back in and do that. I really wrestled with it for a few minutes. I sat there in the car thinking, Lord, this, uh, this just, I just do not want to do this. And I thought, I'm becoming a Jonah here. I'm just a Jonah. And uh, I thought, this is all we've been learning about. And here I am acting like I don't care about someone. And I thought, what, what, what effort would it take just to go back in? And, uh, and ha- I had a track. And I had a little Bible as well that I give away. What, what would it hurt to go in there and do that? Well, I'll tell you. I said to myself, I'll tell you it would hurt because uh, uh, he could reject me. He could yell funny things at me. And there might be other people in the store that will embarrass me. And I said, I, I don't want to be a part of this. And I said, but this is what we've been learning in New Life class about being bold and being strong. And I said, Lord, I am going to go and I'm going to be bold and I'm just going to, I'm going to do this, Lord. I'm going to do this. I feel like you're telling me to do this. And I got out of the car and I still hesitated as I went back in that store. And I went back in there and I saw him there on the end of an aisle. He was restocking some items. And I said, oh, Lord, he's busy. I'm not going to say anything here. I'm, I got an excuse here. There's something busy. And I said, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And, um, and I knew I had a short amount of time to do so. And I, uh, and so I went up to him. He's on the end of an aisle. And I just said, hey, by the way, I just wanted to say thank you for helping me find some things in the store. I said, I'm a, I'm a dumb guy trying to find some things for my wife in a store. And, and you were really helpful to me. And he nodded like that. And I said, look, and I reached in my pocket. I, I gave him a Bible. And I said, look, I'd like to have you take this Bible as appreciation for what you did. And uh, I told him, I said, some years ago, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And my life hasn't been the same since, and that he has provided for me. He's shown me the way. I'm guided through every walk of life. And what's more important is that I'm saved. And in this Bible, there's a, there's a part in the Bible, back of the Bible, and I opened it up and I pointed to him, that talks about how you can be saved, how you can read these scriptures, and how you can be saved. And I said, trusting Jesus Christ is the greatest thing that you can ever do. And... Uh, my window of opportunity had just about ended because um, <clears throat> a woman walked around me. This was so funny. I told Chris about this. A woman was walking around me with her basket. And as I looked at her, she said, well, praise the Lord, which was a shock that someone would say that in a store. And she walked on down now, and I looked at him, and he was already back checking out groceries. And my window was over. And I thought, wow. I gave him a Bible, and he's gone. My window was over, and I walked out, and I said, Lord, Thank you that I didn't miss an opportunity because I wanted to miss that. And just to think if I would have, I would have missed out on sharing the gospel. That God had a plan. Even though it was just a couple minutes, just a few minutes to share, uh, God had a purpose and a plan through that. And what an opportunity. And I thought, wow, how many others are there out there that we have an opportunity to share the gospel with such that maybe we we tend to be passive and we miss an opportunity. So. Hang on a second, Randy. You missed a critical part that you told me. What did that guy say to you when you gave him that? Did, oh, yes. He, he took also, the Bible. What he did, did he say? He said, sorry, yes. He did say, nobody has ever given me a Bible. No one's ever given me a Bible. So that was remarkable. Yeah, yeah. It really Thank got you. me thinking. That, and he was appreciative to have it as well. Yeah, you said his eyes welled up. His and, eyes welled and just, up, and he was you could tell there was something going on there, but it just didn't give me the opportunity to further share. All right, stuff. great, yeah. great. Let's give Randy a hand. Hey, isn't that awesome? That's just awesome. And uh, and and uh, and the thing that caught me when it, when he told me about it was how this guy responded. I mean, he he just Randy just said, "Man, as I'm talking about this, and I want you to have this." His eyes are just welling up, and and he just says, "No one has ever given me anything like that." Now that's what caught me about all. I mean, a lot of things caught me about what Randy did there, but what caught me was it's kind of like when Gwen w- witnessed one of her piano students who then said to her. Thank you for thinking of me in this way. What I'm trying to say is people out there are not, you know, uh, all the things that Randy feared were the total opposite of what God is already doing in this man's life. 
wow, no one has ever given me. And uh, so anyway, as we're talking, I'm just like, I'm just like, wow, that is just an amazing story. One, one thing I said, Randy, that is just amazing what you did in less than two minutes. See, we think we just can't do anything. In less than two minutes on a shopping trip, he gave his personal testimony. He gave a Bible. He gave a, 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 in the back of that Bible how to be saved. And then, uh, you know, just, and, and just connected with the person and had a little bit of a dialogue and saw a response. All, and had someone come by and encourage him. All in less than two minutes. Now, all I'm saying is, that's a, you know, first of all, I said, Randy, that's just amazing. Now, why he could do that is, one, he's had several months of making commitments, letting God use these lessons to move him onto that. Number two, he was prepared. He already had in his car the tracts and the Bibles on hand. So he's not like, oh, I wish I could, I could. No, it's there, you know, and yet even with all that, he still had the arm wrestling with God. That's all right. So anyway, after we're talking, I said, Randy, that's just awesome. And I said, Randy, aren't you one of those that signed up to share with three people before the end of the year? Remember we had that sign up? Some of you signed up. I said, hey, Randy, aren't you one of those? Did this happen after you signed up to do that? And he said, well, yeah, yeah. I said, well, hey, this is, this is one of those. There's one of your opportunities. Oh, well, no, no. I mean, I didn't. And he started saying, no, it didn't count. I was like, what do you mean it doesn't count? You know, and, and then I was just kidding him because I said, Randy, that's, that, that's our problem. See, unless they, you know, unless the guy said, oh, yes, I'm a sinner and a Satan worshiper. What must I do to be saved, Randy? And falls on his knees and the lady stops and, 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 and says, yes, let's have a prayer meeting right now, right here in deals. And let's, let's do this, you know, and, and he gets saved and he's sitting here today and he's the one giving the testimony. Unless that happens, it doesn't count. He goes, oh, I know. And he hangs his head. Yeah, I know. That's not, that's not. I said, no, that's every, look at what you did in less than two minutes. You not only just, you know, I mean, you, you, the whole ball of wax. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. Amen? Amen. So anyway, I was just blessed by that, motivated by that. And I hope you're motivated by that. That really, and I'm telling you, my wife and I, we were just talking about this yesterday, how once you get into this lifestyle and mindset and burden, it just starts coming out of you all the time, all the time. Last week, I was sitting during volleyball practice with two moms, and before we know it, I was asking one of them, you know, if you die tonight, what do you know for sure that you would go to heaven? And, and that wasn't just blurting that out out of an obligation to do that. That it was just as natural. And I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, so I'm like Randy. I'm like, this is bizarre. I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe this is so natural. I can't believe that they're not freaking out. And her eyes got real big. But, but that's the point. Her eyes got real big. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. I just reminded this lady of her eternal destiny that she's been through a divorce recently and has a lot of things on her plate and she's not thinking about her destiny. And then we proceeded for another 20 minutes to talk about it. And then next practice I came, I'm reading through uh, Hank Hanegraaff's The Apocalypse Code and she saw that, hey, what book is that? And thinking it was one of the left behind books that she said, oh, I've read all of them, but I don't believe them. But anyway, what is that? So then we start talking again. Same lady next week. Pick up the conversation. Keep going. So anyway, all I'm saying is I hope that's why we're doing this. Because listen, if you think like an inclusivist, you will not be motivated or burdened to share the gospel with people. If you think that everybody's included and everybody, you know, so anyway, what we've been teaching is meant to motivate you to do what Randy is doing. And so I praise God for that. And it's not Randy. It's God, a yielded man. And it can be a yielded woman to do what God has left us here to do. So let's get after it. We're looking at faith in Christ. Is it necessary? We're asking the hard question, is conscious faith in Jesus necessary for salvation? Is conscious faith in Jesus necessary for salvation? That's the hard question. What about those who have never heard? Must they still have faith in Jesus in order to be saved? And if so, and since most of them never will, that's a hard question. What? How are they going to be saved? Will they be saved? And if they are not saved, is God somehow unfair, unjust, and unloving? Will they go to 
hell through no fault of their own. That's what the inclusivist likes to emphasize, through no fault of their own. Well, we're going to begin to tackle this week and then the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We will only have one service, and so come 1045 to have a a, a thankful praise and worship after your uh, Thursday celebrations. But let's look at these arguments. Now, here's what the inclusivism says. It says, no, no. Those who have never heard of Jesus, but sincerely respond in faith to God based on the light they have, will be saved on the basis of the work of Christ. And we said that that answer is driven by two axioms. It's on the left-hand side there of your notes. Two axioms. The reason they would say no is because the universality of God's love and desire for all to be saved. God's love for all to be saved is so great, He won't let them go to hell even though they don't know about Christ. Second axiom is, that's not to say that Christ isn't necessary. It will still be on the basis of, of the death, burial, and resurrection. They just don't know it. All right? And so the desire, look on the right-hand side, the desire of the inclusivists is very simple. They, their desire is that untold billions who have never heard of the name of Christ, supposedly through no fault of their own, will be saved. So there's their axioms, there's their desire on one side. Now, how do they get to that? I mean, how do you get to that place where you can see many of these people, if not most, if not all of them saved, and yet it still be on the basis of Christ? Well, in the middle there, you see four arguments determine inclusivism. And here are the four arguments. We'll look at the first two today, and then the last two uh, in two weeks when we come back. The first is the faith principle. The second is general, general revelation saves. These folks do not have the special revelation of a Bible. They don't have a special revelation of someone, uh, of what Randy gave to that man. A Bible, a track, and a person, a personal witness. That's special revelation. The specific sharing of a specific message that can't be known, cannot be known unless God and God's people share it. And so they say, well, no, that's not necessary. General revelation saves. Third, informational BC believers can be saved. Now, here's the argument on that, just briefly, so you can get the idea of where we're going. Informational BC. People who have never heard of Christ at all. They've never, they don't have a Bible. They've never heard of Christ. They don't know any Christians. The, the inclusivists argue they are informationally before Christ. They're BC. They're like as if Christ had never come, informationally. And, and, and initially, that, that makes sense, doesn't it? That even though chronologically they live at a time after Christ has come, informationally, they're ignorant of that. And so it's almost like they're Old Testament believers. And then the argument is there's in the Old Testament, you can find holy pagans who knew nothing of special revelation, but were saved. Now, that's what will happen in two weeks. We'll talk about it. And then finally, this is not so much of an argument as just much as much as a justification. They say, well, you exclusive exclusivists make exceptions. You that say, you must hear the gospel and place your faith in Christ. You guys make exceptions, and the exception you make are infants and the mentally handicapped, the mentally challenged. You allow them in, so since you make one exception, why shouldn't we make an exception? You know, once you make an exception, let's make more. And so we'll talk about infant salvation in two weeks and whether that enter, should enter into this argument. But for today, let's look at the first two arguments. And the first one's the most important. The first one is most important. Number one, the faith principle. Circle that word faith because that's what it's all about. The faith principle sets a standard low enough for those who have never heard of Jesus to be saved or does it? Inclusivists say it does. Exclusivists who say you must know Jesus say it doesn't. And so we need to see the arguments. First of all, how does the inclusivist argue this principle? Number one, the inclusivists argue a general faith, a general faith in a generic God is sufficient to save. A generic faith. So as long as you are there 
in India, Mongolia, Siberia, deepest, darkest village in Africa, although Africa is being saturated with the gospel, that's getting less and less. You're there, and you look up at creation, or you look into your heart at your conscience, and you come to the conclusion, you know what, there is a God, and I'm going to throw myself at His mercy. That's sufficient for salvation. All right. And so here's the point of, of, of this faith principle. As long as you have the faith to kind of throw yourself at the mercy of this God, this generic God, here's the, here's the undergirdings of that. Number one, God looks at the direction of the heart, not the knowledge of the head. God looks at the direction of the heart, not the knowledge of the head. In other words, do they want to believe in God even though they don't have the knowledge of who he really is particularly in his son. Secondly, saving faith is measured by sincerity, not content. Saving faith, that which saves a person, is by your sincerity, not the content. You may not have all the dots connected. You may not have the full revelation of God, particularly in Jesus Christ. But that's okay, because if you're sincere, a sincere seeker is saved. Now, do you see the, the implications of this? I mean, basically, who's going to be saved? Pretty much everybody, because you get talking about everybody, and that almost describes everybody, whether they've heard of Jesus or have not heard of Jesus. That even describes many people who have rejected Christ. Right? Well, I'm a sincere seeker after God, and I, I'm dependent on Him on His mercy, but, you know, that Jesus-exclusive stuff, I'm not, you know, I'm not there yet. Okay, so... Now, here I want to stop. Remember the Oprah videotape we watched a couple weeks ago? This is exactly, basically, exactly the same argument that Oprah made. She argued the same thing in the video clip we watched a few weeks ago. When the audience member brought up the exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation, do you remember? Oprah countered with the question, what about, what about Jesus? Someone said, well, Jesus is the only way. And she said, well, what about Jesus? What about I mean, She was all over that. She was all over that. What about Jesus? When the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved were again shared to her, she then came back with this question. I rewatched it. I typed it out. Here's what she said, and I quote, Do you think if you are somewhere on the planet and you never hear the name of Jesus, but yet you live with a loving heart, you lived as Jesus would have you to live. You lived for the same purpose. Jesus came to the planet to teach us all. Yet you are in some remote part of the earth and you never heard the name of Jesus. You cannot get to heaven, you think? Does God, and here's what she ended with, does God care about your heart or God care about you calling his son Jesus? Now, without knowing it, Oprah, as a New Age secularist, spiritualist, I shouldn't say secular, New Age spiritualist, is an inclusivist. And, by the way, remember, she also claims to be a Christian, just a free-thinking one. And so this is the very, I mean, she, she made, in fact, that's probably the best argument for inclusivism out of the ten books on inclusivism that I've read. There it is. And here's the question. Does God, do you think God cares about your heart or God care about calling his son Jesus? Now, that's kind of like saying, when did you quit beating your wife? That's exactly the problem with that question. You know, when, you know have you stopped beating your wife? Well, no. Uh, well, no, because, uh, you know, well, oh, so you did beat your wife. Well, no, 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 I just mean, I, I, you know, you've heard that question, haven't you? That's, that's the idea of it. It's the idea of it puts you in a spot where you're, you're in trouble if you do and you're in trouble if you don't, no matter how you answer that. Does God care about your heart? Well, what would you say? Yes. Or does God care about calling his son Jesus? You would say, yes, but if you had to pick between, they're forcing you to pick between the two, and the whole question we have to answer is, do you have to, does, does God Expect both. Does God expect sincerity of heart and knowledge and content of the name? Well, we know already from Romans 10, you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he has been risen from the dead. And so there's heart. So there's the idea. Okay, well, let's look at it. Evangelical inclusivists argue basically the same thing as Oprah. God looks at the intent of the heart, not the content of the head. The heart is what matters, not confessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so here's their whole argument. Sincerity of faith is acceptable to God for salvation when the biblical content of faith is not available or accessible. So these are people, they, they don't have access to the content, and so God accepts sincerity in the absence of available content. Now, why? Why would the inclusivists argue this way? you got to go back to the axioms at the top of your notes. Because God is love, and God wants all people to have access to salvation by grace through faith. Well, if they don't know about Christ, then their faith has to be in what? A generic God. A generic, non-brand God. Now, because evangelical inclusivists still want to be biblical, see, they're not like Oprah. They haven't, they're not uh, New Age spiritualists that have thrown out the Bible. They still want to hold on to the Bible. So now what you've got to do is if you believe something and you still want to be an evangelical who believes in the authority of the Bible, what do you got to do? You got to go to the Bible and what? Find evidence, find proof of your of your point. And so here's where they find it: Hebrews eleven six. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews eleven six. We're going to be in Hebrews eleven. Hebrews eleven six. Now, as you're turning there, again, we're we're talking about these abstract, you know, these inclusivists. They're out there. They're out there. I don't want to be one. And we're thinking, you know, who are these people? And who is Clark Pinnock? And, and Chris said he's already dead, so what do I care about him? And who is John Sanders? I'm never going to meet these guys. Well, listen, I've got a friend of mine who's in the ministry, a pastor. He's a friend of mine. He's in the ministry who believes that Hebrews 11.6 is a, is, is a sufficient presentation of the gospel. He is a a, a, a godly man, a, a, an evangelist for the Lord, and in, in all other respects, I would say, you know, he's right on board. But we've had this, I've had this discussion with him. I'm saying, are you, are you saying 11.6 is enough? Oh, yeah, I think that's enough. Wow. Well, let's take a look at it. This is, inclusiveness would agree. Notice what it says. Hebrews 11.6. While I was turning, while you were turning, I should have been turning. Uh, notice what it says. But without faith... Without faith. Now, see, that's just faith, generic. I mean, it just there it is. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the opposite of that would be, if I have faith, then I please him. Okay, so what could be simpler? For he, but okay, but there, there is some content. There is some description. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Oh, okay. Okay, if I'm going to come to God, then the faith that he's talking about here, I have to believe that God exists. Now, in context, we would know that this is the God... This is not just any God, but it's the, you know, monotheistic God uh, of the uh, Jews. So, right there, the inclusivist is in trouble because they want as many people in, and Buddhists, though, don't believe in a monotheistic God. So, right there, their whole idea of getting as many in is even hampered by this verse. But still, that's a pretty generic God. You must believe that He is. Okay, I believe God is. I mean... Actually, a lot of people... Thank you, thank you. I don't know where that came from. Believe that he is. Okay, now, it goes on. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So all I have to do... There's two things that I have to do. Generic faith and a generic God. i got to believe he is, and then i got to be willing to seek him. And, and believe that he'll reward me for seeking him. Let me tell you, that is a broad and wide gate for salvation. If that's the definition of saving faith... That's a broad gate. That's not a narrow gate. That's a broad path. That's not a narrow path. But is that what this is talking about? Now, inclusivists think they have found saving faith in this one verse. Now, regarding this verse out of context, if all you had was that verse, you would think the following, that all God is looking for is faith. Jesus even mentioned. All one has to do to to believe, to be saved, is that God albeit a monotheistic one, exists, and he is favorably, dis- favorably disposed to those who seek him. Now, if this verse is meant to teach the specifics about saving faith, then here it is. A general faith in a generic God is sufficient to save. Now, I've given you the argument as best as I can. If I misrepresented them, then I, um, I apologize to them. But I, I think that's a, a pretty fair presentation. And I think it corresponds to what, what Oprah, I did quote her as saying. All right? Now, that's what they argue. But this verse, here's what you want to know about that verse. And I'd write it in my Bible. This is not a definition of saving faith. 
it's a description how, of faith in general and how it works. This is not saying, here's what you must believe to be saved. How do I know that? Well, back in Acts, when the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? The apostle Paul did not quote Hebrews 11.6 and say, have a general faith in a generic God. I think you're already in. Let's go. What he said is, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Okay, so let's take a look at this. It's, oh, and I, I thought, how could I describe this? Okay, if someone said, what is NFL football? Well, basically, to, to play NFL football, you've got to be ready to hit and be hit. Now, is that pretty much, Sean, how it works? Well, maybe not for the Oakland Raiders. but I, <laughs> Okay, be ready all the time. You've got to be ready to hit and be hit. And then I thought, well, you could throw in throw, block, pass, kick, punt. Now, is that NFL football? Is that, a, is that a definition of it? No, they have a huge rule. I mean, is that if you just came and said, hey, I know I'm, I'm ready to be hit and hit. I, I'm ready to play. Would you get on a team? Would that be sufficient to get you on a team? But it is a general description. And so that's the same way. This is how faith generally works. You've got to believe there's a God, and then you got, when you trust Him and go out on a limb for Him by faith, you've got to believe that He's going to reward you for doing that. Well, that's how faith works. But that's not a definition of saving faith. So let's look at it. How does an exclusivist, people who say you must hear and believe in Jesus, answer this argument from the Bible? Number one, a specific faith in the particular person, the Lord Jesus Christ, is required to be saved. A particular, a specific faith, not a general faith. A specific faith in the particular person, not a generic God. The Lord Jesus Christ is required. It's... God doesn't look for the, what is sufficient. He declares what is required to be saved. Now, I've already quoted Acts 16, 30 through 32. And he brought uh, the Philippian jailer, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And here was his answer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 32 follows that. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. So they didn't just say, believe on Jesus... Okay, bow your head, repeat after me, I believe in Jesus. Okay, you're saved. They then spoke the word of the Lord. They expanded on who the... It wasn't just say, repeat the name. So that's... Do you see the two extremes? You want to, you want to avoid the extreme that if you have a sincere heart, you, you're okay. And then you want to avoid this, the extreme that Oprah legitimately asked. I mean, all I have to do is... I mean, all God wants is people going running around saying his name. Like it's a magic, you know, rabbit's foot that if you rub it enough, say it enough, mean it enough, you'll be saved. Now, listen, we, we may not fall out on this end, but we do sometimes fall out on this end that we get people enough knowledge and then we get them to repeat what we think they need to say. And they repeat what they think we want them to say. And they say the name of Jesus and they may pray a prayer. They may walk an aisle. They may, I don't know, they may do a lot of things. But the question is, have we spoken the word of the Lord to them? Have we given them enough content and enough context and enough understanding to really know who this Jesus is? Now, here's the other extreme. We don't want to go way down here and think they have to uh, have a master's degree in theology uh, up there in the kingdom kids in order to be saved. But think about this. I believe children can be saved and know and understand who Jesus is at their level of understanding and be saved. But here's the sobering thing. When we baptize them, the confession is we bury you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, that's a whole lot of content about this one God that we're saying they have already placed their faith in. So here's the thing, parents. You just don't want your kids to repeat a prayer that says Jesus and then run to the pastor and say, you know, and then repeat it again to the pastor and think that's sufficient. You need to be sitting down with your kids. Once they do that, or before they do that, you need to be speaking the word of the Lord to them. Once they do make that confession and profession, and I think they can, you need to still teach them more, and they may have adjustments to make along the way, just like you and I did. I don't know all I knew about the Lord then, when, at 17, that I do now. That doesn't mean I wasn't saved, but saved people need to keep growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make... Am I making sense on that? Okay. Well, let's look at... Well, you don't have to move very far from Hebrews 11.6 to see this, the particular person 
and the specific faith. Because look at uh, over at Hebrews twelve two. Look over at Hebrews twelve two. He just says Hebrew. He just teaches Hebrews eleven, which verse six is a part of. And he says, "Now therefore, look at twelve one. Therefore, we also." Here's the application from this. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That is the the race of the Christian life. And how do we do it? Verse 2, looking unto a generic God with a general faith. Is that what he says? He doesn't repeat 11.6. He goes to particularity and specificity, and he gets down to brass tacks and says, looking unto who? Jesus, and then he adds this, the author and finisher of our faith. The author means originator, pioneer. Who's the one that gives us the faith? Who's the one that is the ultimately responsible for imparting that faith? It's Jesus. He's the author of it. He's the originator and he's the finisher of it. No generic God here. No generic God here. So right there in the context. Second point I want uh, we should answer from the Bible is this. Saving faith as taught in the Bible has three basic elements. Saving faith as taught in the Bible has three basic elements. Let me give you what they are. Number one, you have to know the truth. You have to know the truth. Okay, faith is not... See, people think faith saves. Faith doesn't save. Okay, I I know where you're going with this. Faith in Jesus saves. No, faith in Jesus does not save. Jesus saves through faith. Do you see the difference? It's not my faith that saves me. It's Jesus saves me and he does it through faith. And so when I place my faith in him... He's the one. That's the foundational truth is that you have to know the true Savior, the true God. And it's not just four points of a gospel outline. It's who is this true God? Who is Jesus? He is fully man. He is fully God. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect sacrifice. He rose from the dead. He sits at the right hand of the Father and gives salvation as a free gift to whomever places their faith in him. And so it's knowing the truth. Number two, affirming it is true. A lot of people know this truth, but they don't believe it's true. Oh, I know that. I know that's. Sometimes they even say, I know that's true. I know that's the truth, but I, it, it, it's just not true for me. Now, that, right now, that freaks you out. But if you do any witnessing, that's, how, that's where a lot of people are. I know the truth. I just don't believe it's true. Oh, that drives me nuts, Right? Because you want to reason it out with him. And listen, ultimately, it's not going to be reason. It's not going to be reason. Jesus is the originator, the pioneer, and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is going to have to do a work. So affirming it's true. But here's the critical part. Three, choosing to trust. So saving faith has three parts. Truth, true, and trust. The first, the truth, is foundational. It's the object of our faith. So faith alone, you know, just faith does not save. Just faith in like a generic God, it's faith in the right object. And and there's a lot of ways we can say that. We say the right object, the right person, the right content. Basically, you have to believe in the right person. Then you have to believe that this is true. Okay, I, I, I mentally... Emotional, I agree that that's true, but then the critical part is trust. I have to now throw myself, I have to turn from my sin, turn from trusting in myself, turn from trusting in this, the, sec, the, the pleasure of sexual immorality or, or idolatry or slander or, or lying and lust. And I turn from that and I now put my trust in this pure, loving, forgiving, holy Savior, Jesus Christ. So, the, the truth, right under truth, this is foundational. Foundational. If you don't have the truth, you can't believe it's true, and you can't trust in it. So content is king. Content is king in faith, the object in faith. Right under affirming it's true, this is personal. You know, this is what I personally, you know, I have to personally say that truth, I believe that truth, personally. And then right under trust, essential This is essential for saving faith because I can know the truth. I can believe it's true. And there's a lot of people that walk around in this country like that. 
They know the truth. They believe it's true, but they haven't turned from their sins to trust Jesus alone for salvation. So here's what I'm trying to say. Biblical faith is both subjective, what I feel in my heart or what I choose in my heart, and objective, the one I trust in. It requires both sincerity and content. Faith in the right person is required for salvation. Now, the truth is so foundational because without the right content, all the sincerity in the world doesn't mean anything. And remember MacArthur's illustration in that other video that we watched a couple of weeks ago? He was on the Larry King show and he said, I can believe I can fly with all sincerity in the world. But what happens if you believe you can fly with all sincerity and you jump out of a plane without a parachute? You die. You die a quick death. It might be fun for a moment. It's kind of like sin. Hey, this is great. I am flying. Whoop. And then you're dead. And you died with the sincerity of faith that I can fly. But because your object, your content, your knowledge, your truth was wrong, your sincerity meant nothing. There's a lot of people who think and are sincere. I believe in God and my good works are going to go to heaven. And that's great for a while until they come to the judge. and Until they die and they face the one true God. And then they're going to find that the sincerity was in the wrong content. And so we would say this is not true. Listen, God is concerned with the head, the heart, the mind, the body, the soul. Listen to Mark 12, 30. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So see, this idea of, oh, God's all about heart. He's not into doctrine. He's into the direction of your heart, not the doctrine in your head is baloney. Your baloney meter ought to go off the charts. When people pit head against heart, say, no, Mark 12, 30, God wants all of me. He wants my head, my heart, my soul, my body. It impacts all of me. Okay, uh, third point. The Bible says... That saving faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God being preached to the lost. I say Romans ten seventeen puts a, 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 a total end to this idea that generic faith is sufficient to save. Why? Because the faith that saves comes by what? Hearing and hearing comes by the Word of God. He doesn't say hearing comes by looking at the stars and knowing there's a God. It doesn't come by looking at my conscience and knowing, wow, I do wrong, and one day I'm going to be held accountable for that. I better trust in some generic God. It comes from hearing the Word of God. Now, turn your Bibles to, uh, to Romans 10:17, Because you could say, well, the inclusivist would say, well, you guys are just pulling verses out of context to say what you want. And you say, we can't do that with Hebrews eleven six. Why can you do it with Romans ten seventeen? And we would come back with this. We are not pulling this verse out of context to prove a point. This verse is in a section that actually asks and answers the hard question that we've been asking about those who never heard. Look at uh, Romans 10, and let's begin in verse 1. Here's the context of this verse. Brethren, this is Paul speaking, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And then look at verse 2. For I bear witness, bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. Knowledge. Now, if the faith principle of the inclusivist is legitimate, Paul would never have written that verse. Paul would never have written that verse because he would have said this. They, I bear witness they have a zeal for God. They believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who sing. They are sincere. They are zealous. In fact, they're probably some of the most sincere, zealous seekers on the planet. Therefore, they're saved and I'm worried about nothing. But, in, but instead, he says, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, what is the righteousness of God? Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. If we're going to have God's righteousness, then we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And that is according to knowledge. Now, let's drop down, and it says, uh, 
let's let's drop down to six. Well, let's just keep reading. We're just so close. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. Okay, so if you're going to get saved by doing good works, then you've got to do them perfectly and never fail. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That is being... That is to bring Christ down from above. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, this is too hard for me. Being saved is too hard for me uh, by faith. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. What he's trying to say is, look, don't make salvation so hard. It's a free gift. We preach the word to you, and all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, and you will be saved. And he goes on and says that if you confess with your mouth, verse 9, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. That covers every person on the planet. There are no exceptions. There are no exceptions to saving faith. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For, all, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who do what? Who call upon him. And we already know in context, is that a generic God? No, that is call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person and work of Christ. Now, notice verse 14 is the hard question. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? There's the hard question. That's the question we've been dealing with. This is the fifth lesson on that question. How does the inspired word of God answer it? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they, So basically what he's saying is, how are those who have never heard going to hear? How? You have to preach. And a preacher has to be sent. And the word has to be preached. Otherwise, they will not be saved. Now, notice he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Even just hearing, the, even once you have the information, doesn't guarantee. Did, did Randy's friend at the store fall on his knees and immediately believe? No, because... So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God has to work its supernatural, miraculous work in the heart of the unbelieving. God must implant His Word in their soul, and that's what we must pray for. We are responsible to preach. God is responsible to save. But there is no salvation apart from us sharing Jesus Christ. So let me end with this point. Saving faith is never separated from special revelation concerning the Son of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Saving faith is never separated from special revelation concerning the Son of God. Now, let me end with this point. What do I mean by special revelation? That is, without the Word of God and someone sharing it or God speaking to them directly, His Word. Not through creation, not through the conscience, not through the culture and the world's conflicting religions, but God must speak to them through His Word and through a messenger. Now, where we'll pick up in two weeks is this. And I'm going to take the time to do it because I really want to develop this for you. And that's this. We're going to go through... Hebrews 11, and we're going to go through every one of those persons listed in Hebrews 11. And I'm going to take you and show you that the faith principle, which is found in Hebrews 11, 11, 11.6, does not apply to a single one of those people. Not a one of those individuals were saved apart from God either speaking directly to them or someone sharing the word of God to them. 
even the prostitute Rahab. Because if anybody could have been saved without that, it would be someone like Rahab. You know, who was all, but, but here's what the inclusivists say. Those are all holy pagans. They're people who had no special revelation. They had no contact with Israel. And they looked at the stars. They looked at their conscience. And they said, you know what? I'm living a bad life. And there's a good God. And I'm going to throw myself on him. And I'm going to be saved. And the only problem with that is, and I'm, I'm giving you the answer in the beginning, there's not a single person in the Bible who you can point to and say, that person was saved by general revelation. Now, here's the thing. God keeps getting a bad rap. Why isn't he doing more to save people? Folks, he set the stars in the heaven to say he's greater than that. He has moved heaven and earth to send a Jonah to the Ninevites, to send the spies to Rahab, to send... To speak to Job in the midst of his suffering directly to him. Listen, God, the problem's not with God. The problem's with us. We're too hard-hearted to believe in him. And I'm sad to say we are often too hard-hearted to share him with others. And yet we must. Because God commands it and in his sovereign plan... There is no other means. There is no other means. How shall they hear without a preacher? There's no other means by which those who have never heard will ever hear unless we put our money, our prayer, our lives, and for some of you, our children on the line to go for how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel. Amen? Good stuff good stuff we'll pick up here have a great thanksgiving let's have a thankful heart father we come and it is with thankful hearts that we come to you lord it's amazing that one you've given us your word so that we can refute false doctrine but in doing so we must lay claim to sound doctrine and that's what thrills our hearts that's what gives us hope And I pray just for a moment here, we would just stop and say, where have I adopted the faith principle? Where have I lowered the standard of saving faith just because I love someone so much I want them to be in heaven? Where have I lowered the standard of saving faith just because I'm so burdened for someone I want to grasp any hope of sending them to heaven and out of hell? But Father, it's not our standard by which men and women are saved. It's your standard. And the standard is a sincere faith in the right person. Thank you, Jesus. This Thanksgiving, may our hearts overflow with thankfulness for your salvation. And may it be shown with a gratitude that shares that with others, like Randy shared with that man. In Jesus' name we pray. 